What's up, everybody? How you doing? Yeah, yeah. What's up, everybody? I just want to say a big shout out to everyone who is joining us online. What's up, everybody? And if wherever you might be joining us from, why don't you chat it out in the in the uh, in the chat box right there? Just chat it out live. Say I'm joining you from Baltimore City, Baltimore County, Columbia, wherever you might be, anywhere in in the world. I just want you to shout it out. We want to let everybody know in the world that Bridgeway. Community Church is worshiping the Lord right now. Well, it's a good day to be in the presence of God, and it's a good day to be in church today. My name is Ronald Green. I serve as the worship director here at Bridgeway Community Church. I also serve as a minister here, and you are right in the midst, actually, at the end of a two-week series we like to call Dwelling Place. Somebody shout, Dwelling Place! Yes, dwelling place. It's going to be between me and Elder Kevin Thornton. We're giving you the word today. And we're really excited about it. We're talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness and how it relates to our worship and how it relates to our relationship with God. We're also modeling this service as we did last week, where you're going to be receiving information about worship Yes, we're going to give you information, but you're also going to be, uh, we're going to be doing revelation because God is going to reveal himself through our worship, and we're going to have a demonstration in worship, and God is going to reveal himself even the more today. Are you ready? Are you ready to encounter the presence of God? Well, let's go into it. Today, we're going to be, like I said, concluding a dwelling place. Dwelling place is where God dwells. And one moment in the presence of God can change your life forever. We said that last week. Why don't you say it again today? One moment in the presence of God can change my life forever. Last week, we looked at Psalm 84, and the psalmist declared, how lovely is your dwelling place? We discovered that this dwelling place actually means a place that feels like home, a place that feels like home where I find peace and I find a sense of purpose. We also looked at what he was really talking about in the sense of home. He was talking about this dwelling place being the tabernacle in the wilderness. And Elder Kevin gave us a general overview, doing a great job of a general overview of what that tabernacle was. And today, we're going to take a closer look at what that tabernacle is and see how it relates to, number one, our worship, and number two, our relationship with God. Once again, see how it relates to our worship and our relationship with God. And as we go through this progression of the tabernacle, I want you to keep this in mind because this is always the end goal, intimacy with God, intimacy with our Father, our Creator. As we go into this, I want you to realize that there is nothing more important than to get closer and uh, have that intimacy with God your Father. Somebody turn to somebody around you, even if you're at your home or at your work, and say, it's time to get intimate. It's funny, we're laughing because 
Sometimes when we say intimate, we think of physical intimacy. But this goes far beyond that, far beyond that. This is what it says as it relates to intimacy when we're looking at a, a, a definition. Intimacy refers to the ability to genu genuinely share your true self with another person and relates to the experience of closeness and connection. Get this. In order to experience intimacy, in order to experience intimacy, into me see, I must allow you, or in this case, the Father, to see into me. Because there is no intimacy without transparency. I'm going to say that again. In order to experience intimacy, into me see, I must allow the Father to see into me. Because there is no intimacy without transparency. Y'all ready to get into it? Let's go through the progression of the tabernacle. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100, verse 4. It says it like this. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. God is good. I want to bring up the first image here. As we see this, we say, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Well, when they say enter his gates with thanksgiving, the word that they were referring to is called toda, which means to lift your hands. Every time I come into the tabernacle, the, the men would lift their hands as a sign of surrender and saying, God, this is all about you. But the first step in this progression of the tabernacle, we see a white curtain or a white fence around it. That's the first step in the progression. And this, like Elder Kevin told us last week, it is separating a profane world from separating a profane world from a profound God. We're separating a profane world from a profound God. In other words, it is a boundary. We have a boundary from the presence of God to the rest of the world. Can I tell you a little story? Here at my house, and by the way, we're still looking for a house. If anybody want to bless us with a house, we, we all good. <laughs> but in our current house, and this will go to our new house as well. But in our current house, we have a rule. This rule is once you step foot into our house, you got to take your shoes off. Once you step foot into our house, you got to take your shoes off. Why is that? Because we have little kids, number one. But two, when you're out in the world and you're out uh, walking and walking into who knows what, we don't want you tracking what is outside in Side our dwelling place because we consider our home a sacred place and some of you might have different practices but the the main idea is your home is a sacred place I'll, I'll tell you another story my wife and I actually me I brought up this this rule when we started having kids I said look here I love my kids I want to be around them but when it's time to sleep I do not want them in my room they sleep in their room, and we sleep in our room. Why is that? Because I've come to learn that we spend the rest of the day, all of the day, 
with our kids and we give them all of us. And when it's time for them to go to sleep, it is time, actually our sacred time to be together. Our room, our house, our bed is our sacred time. Can I ask you a question? What is your sacred time with the father? How do you boundary, put boundaries over that sacred time with the father? And in that sacred time with the Father, do you allow other things from the outside to come in? I want to encourage you, those times that you have set aside for the Father, those devotion times, those worship times, even in the time when you come into church and you lift your hands and give praise to God, let that be a sacred time that you don't allow any distractions from the outside in. It's not a secret, it is sacred. This place, this dwelling place, this place where I encounter the presence of God, it's not that I don't want you to be a part of my life anymore. I want to encounter the presence of God because it is sacred and special to me. So our first step, our first step in the progression of the tabernacle is the white fence or white curtains that surround it. Our second step is the brazen altar. The altar of sacrifice, the altar where they give their all offering. Let me just tell you, there is no altar without a sacrifice. There is no altar without a sacrifice. Whenever we're in the presence of God, and let's just say whenever you're in church, you come up to the altar. You know sometimes when we have altar calls, come up to the altar with your hands up. Because what we're saying is, Lord, I give myself to you. I lay it all down at the altar. What is your sacrifice? The sacrifice is yourself. It's not a physical sacrifice, but in Romans 12 and 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. This is our sacrifice. Whenever we come into the house of the Lord or whenever we have our time of devotion and worship to God, we bring, as the song says, the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. That is our sacrifice. Well, some of you might be saying, well, I'm given this sacrifice. What about God? This is, this is supposed to be a relationship, right? As I give my sacrifice, is God also, how is God giving his sacrifice? Well, I'm glad you asked. God, in the beginning, God had perfect intimacy with man, with mankind. He had perfect intimacy, but because of sin, it caused a break in the intimacy with God and man. And God was not pleased with that. But as time went on, as time went on, we have man giving up sacrifices in order to get closer to God, in order to be in the presence of God. God was not, he was not satisfied with that. So he decided to take a part of himself and send it down to earth. And we like to call him the son of God, which his name is Jesus. He lived a sinless life. And he not only lived a sinless life, but he gave himself as a sacrifice. 
died on a cross, was buried and dead. But I thank God that that's not how the story ends. The Bible says that he was beaten for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. But the story doesn't end there. He died on a Friday, then rose again on a Sunday morning with all power in his hands, and his empty grave is there to prove my Jesus lives. Is there anybody in this place online that's thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus? Hallelujah. He gave the ultimate sacrifice. Why did he do that? So that we can have right intimacy with the Father. In order to have a relationship, you got to have intimacy. In order to have intimacy, you got to have sacrifice. I remember when I was started, started to date my wife. True story. I had five jobs. Five jobs. No joke. Five jobs. Because I was a musician doing all the gigs in the world, and I, I was young. I wanted money. Hey, it, it is what it is. I had five jobs, and I had something to do every single day of the week. But when I, had, when I came in relationship with my girlfriend at the time, but my wife right now, when I came in relationship with her, she said, look, you're working all the time. We don't get a chance to spend any time together. So because intimacy with my, my girlfriend at the time, but my wife now, thank God, um, intimacy with, with her was a priority of mine, I had to make sacrifices. Question for you, what sacrifices are you making for your intimacy with the Father? And thank God that he has made the ultimate sacrifice for us. So the second step in the progression would be the brazen altar. And the third step in the progression of the tabernacle would be the brazen laver, where we come to wash. But it's not just washing. It, this vessel that holds the water for, for the men to wash, for the people of God to wash, was actually made out of a looking glass or a mirror. So the interesting thing about it is once you approached the brazen laver, you could see yourself. You could see how dirty you were, so it would allow you to see where you needed to wash. Not to shame you, but to cleanse you. I'm reminded of the times I love to go flying on planes. I love to go to the airport. I love to travel. I love to travel on planes. Why is this? Every time I go, I want to get a window seat. Because every time when the plane ascends into the air, I look out the window and I see the world as I once knew it become smaller and smaller and smaller. And I like to imagine the situations that I left, they become smaller and smaller and smaller. And even I like to imagine even the things that I think that I am like, oh yeah, I do this, I do this. It, it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Why? It didn't change. My perspective changed. And whenever I get a chance to see myself for who I really am, it's not that anything changes. It's just the perspective changes. 
And I thank God that in worship, we get a chance to lift our hands to the Father, and he also allows us to see ourselves, not to shame us, but to empower us, not to shame us, but so that we can be washed clean. This is the power of worship. This is the power of intimacy with the Father. Like I said before, in order to experience intimacy into me see, you must allow God to see into you because there is no intimacy without transparency. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us, not just you. I want to pray for you and us because this is a pivotal point in the progression of the tabernacle. Why is that? Because it allows us to see ourselves so that God can wash us. This is the posture of worship, saying, God, here I am. I surrender to you. It's just like they said, the psalmist said in 139, Psalm 139, verse 23, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Can we pray that prayer together? I want us to pray to God, asking him to search our hearts. As we continue to go through this progression of the tabernacle, as we continue to get toward intimacy with the Father, Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you humbly. We enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. We bless your holy name, God. God, thank you for the sacrifice that you have made for us. And Lord, this is our sacrifice of praise. And Lord, we ask that you would wash us clean. Holy Spirit, wash us clean. Make us new. Show us ourselves. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. And as we continue this progression of the tabernacle with Elder Kevin, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak clearly. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Together, everybody said amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Minister Ronald. That was a, a wonderful uh, message for us today. I like that intimacy, into me see. And that's really what the priests were presenting themselves to do as they went closer. Uh, remember last week we were talking about the, the uh, Mishkan or the tabernacle being the house that God had designed. He had drawn up the plans. He had given all the materials that went in very specific designs. And uh, we're going to continue in getting more into the specifics after in September on a Wednesday night series. So anybody would be interested in going with that, we're going to make that available to you. Uh, but we're going to continue today into the holy place, which is just past the 
brazen labor. As the priest stopped, and Ronald uh, told us again, that the priest would stop to wash thereat, to clean the outward sin, lest there be any spot or wrinkle or defilement on him that he would then carry into the holy place. Because if he took defilement into the holy place, God would kill him because God takes holiness very seriously. So uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of be an observer. We're going to follow the priest into the holy place and see what he sees and hopefully experience what he would experience as he went into the, into the holy place and kind of give us a little bit more idea for what a relationship and building a personal relationship with God is all about. Um, the, when the priest went in, he had three main responsibilities when he went through the door into the holy place. Uh, the first one was, to, well, they were to offer themselves for service, praise, and fellowship before the Lord. And they did that by uh, trimming the wicks and refreshing the oil supply of the golden candlestick. We're going to talk about that first. Uh, assure that the bread and wine on the table of shoe bread were in order, and then to offer incense or praise on behalf of the nation of Israel before God. So their whole idea was to come in and to, to commune with God and to represent the people of Israel on behalf of the nation of Israel. So we've shared with you a whole lot of information, but how does that affect your personal relationship with God? What can you take away from all the, the facts and, and the thoughts and the study that we've done so far? Um, so I, I'm just sitting there thinking, if you can show slide uh, 14 for us. There it is. I'm sorry, I'm looking right at it. Um, but the holy place is in Exodus 26, verses 1 to 30. And here on this picture, we see on the left-hand side, we see the golden candlestick. On the right-hand side is the table of shewbread. And then the, the back, close to the uh, right before the veil that went into the holy place, is the golden altar of incense. We're going to get further into each one of those now. But it, Let's just pause for a minute again, being an, uh, an observer, following the priest through what he does, and see how, what, how that makes you feel, how you would respond, and how you would respond as the priest in that circumstance, if we can. So imagine being a priest about to enter the holy place for the first time. How would you feel? said last week that I'd probably be awake for two weeks, worried that I would have some type of spot or wrinkle that I can't see that I wouldn't be able to clean off and I'd be fried in a second. That's not God's desire and that's not his intent. So that's why he gave us the brazen labor. So what would you experience as you walked in these doors? If we can see that slide one more time. We see the golden mirrored walls. We see the, they're solid gold. We see the cherubim overhead and the woven tapestries that are there. The only light in the room is from the golden candlestick. We have the table of shoe bread and we have the golden altar of incense. And we have the smell of the incense because the priests were told to make it as a perpetual offering or perpetual sacrifice. Are we overcome by the holiness of God? I think that I would be. I mean, just imagine the, the, um, just being able to, to look around and see every place you see, see angels and gold and mirrors and the incense and the smell of God. 
You have to be overcome by the presence of a holy God by that point. Or, or is there fear and trembling? Not so much fear as we know it, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we're told in Scripture. So maybe there's just an overwhelming awe, and we'd be able to, uh, we would sense that. As a worshiper, would you want to stay, or would you want to hurry up and get out of there, afraid of what's going to happen? Um, has to be the deepest relationship your, your, your relationship has ever been. Uh, so today, we're going to take a look and see what it feels like to be in there and what they saw. Were they overcome by this Kodesh or the, the set-apartness of God in this one room? Because uh, it's only in a holiness, holy place that the believer can truly appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ as the true and only light of the world, the only bread of life, and the only intercessor between God and man, holy, the holy pre, uh, high priest. So the golden candlestick, if we can take a look at slides 17 and then 18, um, is, is the golden candlestick or the menorah. This was one piece, it was one uh, talent of gold, which was roughly 150 pounds, that an artist hammered. This was not formed and, and screwed together or anything. If I were going to design it, I would cast it and then I would screw it all together and make sure it was fine and then polish it so it was nice and pretty. This was a hammer. It was a beaten work. So we rep it represents Jesus as the light of the world and it represents that he was beaten and wounded for our transgressions. And as so, he's the light of the world. So... Um, the let this, we have seven branches here. We're going to just go through this. Seven branches, the one in the center, which stands the highest, is representative of Jesus. On that branch also, there are 12 um, stages of the almond tree that budded, and we'll, we'll explore that further in our study. But you, you have the bud, and you have the bloom, and then you have the fruit uh, for, on the top of each one of these uh, stems. Out of the main stem, we have six stems that flow. Uh, that was originally seven being the perfect number, giving you the perfect light, um, and that was all Jesus. But as we take a look at it now, us as the New Testament priests, we're representative, represented in those seven or those six stems that come from the center. We know the scripture that tells us, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. So the New Testament priests are, are reflected in these six stems that come forth. On top of each one of those stems is a bowl that is filled with oil. Oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And there's also a wick that is in, in the middle of that, that. The oil then gets pulled up through the wick and the light shines. But there's a couple of things that needed to happen. The priest would come in during the day, and they would check the wick, and um, they would uh, be, have to trim that wick because if we have, uh, if the, because the holy place is holy and there could be no defilement, if the wick stands too trim or, or too tall, too proud above the oil, then it's going to burn and put out a smoky, offensive odor, which would then defile 
the holiness of the tabernacle. So in the morning prayer and in the evening prayer, sacrifices were done, but that's when the, whole, the priest would go in to trim that wick. Can we show the picture of the, of the untrimmed wick? This is from my house. This isn't from the tabernacle. Um, I, I purposely allowed this wick to burn, this candle to burn this past Christmas, and I let it burn for two days, and I didn't trim it. And you can see the char and the soot and the dirt around the top of that candle. That's what would happen to the, to the uh, walls of, the, of gold that were in that place. It would be defiled, and it would no longer be holy. Can we see the next slide of the trimmed wick? Ah, there's the trimmed wick. There's no dirt or no smoke or anything around the outside of that. So that represents why the wick had to be trimmed. Well, if, if we as priests are the wit, because as we go into the altar or tabernacle and we worship, we become more like Jesus. He calls us to be the light of the world. So then the Holy Spirit, the oil, flows through us, and then we emit the light, which then draws people from all over the world to come, and they see our good works, and they glorify the Father. So at this point, we become the wicks. Here we go through the a cleansing or a purging again as priests, where we, the, the wick has to be trimmed to keep us from getting proud or keep us from getting just complacent with what's happening here in the temple. It becomes just a job rather than have us being overcome by being in the intimate presence of God. So that was one of their jobs. They would refresh the oil with, uh, with a pure olive oil, we're told in Scripture, and then they'd trim the wicks to make sure that the light, the wicks were in the right place, and they, they gave just the perfect light there, symbolic of Jesus Christ being the perfect light of the world with the Holy Spirit flowing through him. So as we're with him more, we become more like him. The next place that we're talking to take a look at is the uh, slide 18, the uh, golden altar. This is the last place that the priest would go. He would come here and he'd offer two times a day. He'd offer incense before um, the Lord, before the veil that went into the Holy of Holies. And this is representative of Jesus Christ being our high priest. There's only room there in front of that altar. It was two feet high, foot and a half wide, and a foot and a half deep. So there's only place for one person to be there to offer. So it's probably the most intimate we could ever get with God in a holy place right there. So what he would do, he would offer the sweet incense uh, before God, and he'd pray on behalf of the nations um, and, and pray for healing and all the other things that the, the people needed at that time. The, the next is the, uh, the golden, uh, the table of shoe bread. And the table of shoe bread had a slide 14. Yep, we have, um, it was two cubits in length. A cubit wide and two, uh, two uh, a cubit and a half high. So on it were t placed twelve loaves of bread that the priest would bake out of fine flour. They beat this flour and grind it. Again, being symbolic of Jesus being beaten and ground for our transgressions. And they would make these breads, uh, twelve loaves of bread, fresh every week. And then on the Sabbath. They would come in, all of the priests then that had ministered that week would come into his presence on the Sabbath evening. 
and they would consume the 12 loaves of bread that had been on that table before the presence of God. Showbread means in the face of God, or it's the bread of faces. So it means it was, had been in the presence of God all week. And this was a place where God was now saying, I built all this and I've done all this because I want you to be in relationship with me. As Ronald's talking about intimacy, he's saying, how do we become intimate with somebody? Well, we spend time with them. We get to learn who they are. Most cases in our culture, we invite them to dinner. We invite them into our house. So this is the place where God invites us into his house. He says, come sit with me. Come dine with me. Come, come and just be with me and find out who I am, and I will find out who you are, and I'll minister to you. I can provide all your needs, whatever it is that you need. So this table of shoe bread then, the, the 12 old loaves represented one loaf for each of the, of the uh, uh, families, tribes of Israel. And the priests would consume them. They'd drink the wine that was on the table of shoe bread, and then they would bring in the new 12 loaves, which would again sit there for a week, and they would consume the following Sabbath. So at Jesus' pass, I mean, uh, it, the, the, uh, it's undeniable that Jesus is the bread of life. So the 12 loaves were the bread that we, we talked about today and we'll talk about with communion. And on his last night, you know, Jesus said, um, I'm the bread of life. He said, I am the cup that overflows. You know, if you drink of my blood, you'll never die. And so uh, the last Passover meal uh, Jesus had with his, with his disciples, he said while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take you and eat, this is my body. That's in Matthew 26. Jesus' broken body is our only access to fellowship and relationship with God. Today we celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion to remember uh, this, this celebration that was most important to God, the reason he designed this whole dwelling place in the midst of his people in the first time. God still desires today to have fellowship and a personal relationship and to sit down and uh, feast with his people, those that love him. He said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So we invite you today during this time of communion that we're about to have to prepare your hearts and, and share communion with us.